Let me bring you songs from the woods To make you feel much better than you could know Better than you could Dust know Dust you down from tip to toe Dust you down from tip to toe Show you how the garden grows Show you how the garden Hold grows Hold you steady as you go Hold steady as you Join go. the chorus if you can Hey everybody, welcome to the short bonus episode of The Hustle. We are talking to Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull. Now you guys all know what an important figure David Bowie has been in my life and in my sort of formation as even a human being with interests and passions. What I haven't mentioned is that the second most impactful experience of my life was discovering Jethro Tull, and specifically the Songs from the Wood album. So let me paint you a picture. I didn't have time to tell him, so I'll tell you. It's about 1985 or 86. I'm probably 12 or 13 years old. I'm the oldest in my family. I don't have any older siblings. So my older cousins, Rick and Tony, especially Rick, sort of served that role for me as mentors and influencers. So one day, I'm going into Rick's bedroom. And he's imagine this. He's got like bright blue shag carpet on the walls. Uh, he's got a big room all to himself. He's He's got a CD player, which I don't have one. None of my friends have one. And just like out of a movie, I open the door, and the first thing I hear is this, that acapella beginning to Songs from the Wood. And it changed my whole chemistry. It changed everything about how I saw life. And I realize now that the reason for that is the same reason that David Bowie intrigued me when I heard his voice crack while singing Let's Dance, which is I'm hearing something that's catchy and speaking to me, but that's different. And then I'm thinking to myself, whoa, wait, you can do that? You can make popular catchy music that sounds like this? I didn't know you could do that. And that same provocative question, that same thing that's challenging what you know to be normal is what set me on my on my path to being who I am today. And so walking in my cousin Rick's bedroom and hearing the beginning of Songs from the Wood is the second most impactful musical experience of my life. Now, honestly, it did not necessarily amount to an interest in prog rock. I'm not that big of a fan. Some of it I like. I can appreciate a lot of it. But um, I, I didn't go deep on that. I'm the, I love Jethro Tull, but I'm not even telling you that I love everything they do. But that particular album and song and a few other things really means the world to me. And what's interesting is that it was the gateway toward me discovering and being super passionate about the bands like Echo and the Bunnymen and Psychedelic Furs and Depeche Mode and, and the Smiths. Now you would think that they have nothing to do with each other, but what it is, is it's an awakening to a very uniquely English sound which all those bands have in common, including Jethro Tull. And as I mentioned, it's a shift in your brain of what's possible, that something could be catchy or, or hit you like a pop song would on pop radio, but be slightly different on just a slightly different path. And that that path is more interesting than the pop radio path. And so it shaped the rest of my life. Now, we only had 20 minutes to talk, so I tried to get as much in as I could. First of all, this is the 40th anniversary of the release of Songs from the Woods, so there's a large deluxe edition of that out that's out right now. Also, this year, just a couple of months ago, he released a string quartet album that features 
revised classical versions of a lot of Jethro Tull songs, and it's beautiful. And if I didn't think so, I wouldn't say anything, but it is beautiful. And so we throw in some snippets of those songs, whether they come out directly in conversation or not, because I wanted everyone to hear them. And then I also, I, 20 minutes, this is my only chance to talk to Ian Anderson. So I ask him some questions I've always wanted to know, some nerdy things that are strictly for me. And then I just tried to get into his head. I find the minds of prog rockers really baffling because I think of music in terms of pop, three minute pop songs, and they don't. And I want to know what's going on in there. I tried, I don't know that we got there, but he was a real gentleman to talk to me. It meant a lot to me. He talked to me from his home in England. Okay, so for starters, I know you put out the classical album, the string quartet album, but I wanted to ask you about the 40th anniversary of Songs from the Wood first, if you don't mind. Yep. Uh, if we had more time, I would tell you how that album changed my life, but I'm curious where that album fits in your canon. There's a huge deluxe reissue that came out this year. Do you have any particular stories or fondness for that album? Is it just one of many? Where, how, where does that fit in your mind? Well, it, it certainly fits into my sort of top ten of generally, you know, feeling good about the compositions, about the recording, about the the time and the the you know the nature of the making the record and the band playing it live on stage. It, it sits there in the definitely in the top ten, and depending on my okay. mood, it, it may be in the top five. I, th I think it, for me it's important because it's um, an album where the band had kind of matured at that point into being, you know, pretty good musicians, and and we were we were recording in the UK in a studio that we'd worked in many times before, so there was the security of uh, of knowing that tec tec technically it would turn out to be an okay record, you know, in terms of okay. musical expertise and in terms of technical recording, and the songs were based on a fairly common set of threads that came from a, a book that our then publicist, Joe Lustig, an American uh, music publicist and manager, um, had given me, because he was a, very much an Anglophile who loved mm. tales of merry old England and folklore and elements of uh -huh. the, the cultural traditions of, of, uh, of Britain. And so with this book, which... Uh, I dutifully began to read. I then found a whole area of musical and lyrical ideas, subject matter that that I suppose I could have done further research and come up with actually real life uh, historical uh -huh. songs based on those ideas. Because of course, part of our traditional English folk music is a lot of stuff about those very topics. But I decided it was probably better for me to to not go that route and try to be a mm. traditional English folky, but to 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 try and do things in my own way and in, in yeah. more of a rock sensibility, but to you know stylistically push it a little bit towards sure. some elements of folk tradition without making it legitimately traditional folk music. Just I suppose you could say songs from the wood moves a little bit towards contemporary folk rock, whatever yeah. that is or was right. at the time. Right. You know, you talk about your sensibility and there's no one, there's never been a band that sounds like Jethro Tull. And I, and I was thinking about you recently. I saw, I think to, to, Tony Iommi posted a picture of you two on Twitter. And I thought, oh, what a great pairing. Two, I would love to be there, a fly on the wall. But I thought, what is, I know what Black Sabbath is about. If someone were to say to you, what's Jethro Tull all about? What are you trying to do? 
because no one sounds like you, and you don't even particularly write pop songs. So what, is, what have you been trying to further? Is this a sound in your head that you're trying to get out? Are you um, pushing boundaries? What do you think? What's motivating this sound? Well, I think Frank Zappa had it right when he uh, decided to call his band the Mothers of Invention. You know, it is boredom that drives uh, <laughs> uh, creativity and invention. You know, you, you, you find the need to keep moving on and trying to discover new fertile creative pastures that that's where you're headed and it's because you get you get bored easily you know doing yeah. the same thing all over and you know time after time staying with the same kind of style then for me would would not be hugely rewarding but on the other hand and you since you mentioned tony iomi you know when you define the music of black sabbath it's relatively easy because it doesn't change much over the years it's just it's a certain kind of stuff it's monophonic riffs and a kind of a very limited melodic range of of expression and lyrically it tends to be on fairly dark subjects it's uh, it, it's quite easy to define black sabbath it's probably sure. e easy also to define bands like um you know uh, I'm trying to think of american one of the ramones or yeah, or oh, in the uk one. to define status quo or or right. um Iron Maiden, you know, that there is a sure. tendency when you have a very defined style that it's something that you should, I mean, if it works, then, you know, enjoy doing it. Keep keep, keep yeah. doing it. That's, that's fine. There's a, there's a tendency, however, not to perhaps um, suffer from that, that um, intellectual restless leg syndrome, sure. which is what <laughs> I have. I, I just need to keep right. shifting the focus and trying something... That, that's a little different to what I did before, and, and but that doesn't mean that every, you know you just depart and leave behind things forever. It just means that you move somewhere else, and and you know from time to time you come back and you reinvent your own personal musical wheel. You come back and revisit yeah. some of those you know stylistic elements, and you think, well, how could I how could I take that and without just recreating it, I can use I can use that idea again, but push it somewhere in a slightly different direction. And that happens with with songs and lyrics too. You know that you're thinking in verbal terms, and perhaps you're talking generally about a subject that um, you've done. And then sometimes you think, well, there's another way I could have expressed this. Another yeah. another yeah. way I could touch upon this general idea, but but you know make it you know use different yeah. words to express it. And that that's you know, part of I suppose being a lyric uh, writer as well as a, a sure. music writer that that you um, you know you've got a lot to play around with. You know, you can keep the music yeah. the same and change the lyrics, vice versa, or change both. And and that's what I try to do is to okay. keep keep moving around a little bit. But you know, from an audience perspective, or certainly a music a musicologist perspective, then it makes it a lot more complicated to say yeah. who or what is Jethro Tull. It's a you know, frankly, it's a mess. You know, it's a it's a mess. It's just all over the show. It's all over the place. Sure, it is. But then, but therein, yeah, think, for me, know, lies that the the playfulness of the music is that you get to do different stuff. It's not all serious. Yeah. Sometimes it's light-hearted. Sometimes it, on very serious subjects, things that are topical, things to do with with some very you know fundamental emotions: rage, uh -huh. anger, jealousy, love, whatever it might be. It's it's all. It's it's all out there. You know, if, if Shakespeare yeah. if, if if Shakespeare didn't do it, it's not worth doing. Very true. But so was it a conscious decision then at one point where you just thought, you know, I like the blues, I have this flute, I like folk music, traditional English folk music. I'm going to see how, I'm going to merge these and I'm going to see how far I can push it, how far I can take it. 
Or well, did it I, ever occur to you yes. to think, I want to be like Ray Davis and write a kink song, three-minute pop song, and let's see how I do with that. Do you know what I well, mean? Like yeah, you I mean, made a conscious but, decision to be you. Both, both, both of those things, I, I would say that by July of uh, 1968, when Jethro Tull had been playing as a little old blues band in uh, you know, the clubs and pubs of England, then um, that began, I suppose, at the end of January 68, so shortly to be 50 years ago. Uh-huh. And by six months later, I suppose I was thinking, well, it's not really quite what I want to be doing for the rest of my life because I'm not black. I'm not American. <laughs> I don't have, I can't lay claim to the cultural roots that would legitimize uh-huh. my being a blues musician. So maybe I should look closer to home and find other influences. And, you know, I liked other kinds of music that were you know, perhaps folk music, more of the uh-huh. world music. I liked elements of Indian, Chinese, European, sure. other forms of music that I'd heard. They all had their slightly different ring to them. So that conscious decision to start embracing other musical influences was probably around the summer of 1968 when I started to write the music that would become the stand-up album. At that point, it became fairly obvious that our then guitarist, Mick Abrahams, wasn't really, you know, into that kind of approach. He liked blues and rock and roll, yeah. and that was it. So um, where I was headed wasn't going to work really with with uh, with Mick. The other two guys were a bit more flexible. Um, so um, okay. that's where we headed. But uh, But yes, along the way, I've often thought, well, wouldn't it be nice to write a catchy pop song? And you know, a few times just to see if I could get a top ten hit. <laughs> I did I did sure. try and do it. But then they're certainly not my best songs. They're just they are just oh, simple and direct and you know, when you take things like uh, well I suppose Living in the Past was the first mm-hmm. actually technically not the first one. Love Story was the first one followed by Living in the Past. And then, and then we had a few songs like uh, Sweet Dream, Teacher. Yeah. And... 
Things that yeah. kind of crept into the radio play scenario and, and which made it into the charts. It's not something that really appeals to me a huge amount mm. to try and invest okay. time and effort in, into that very commercial kind of writing. Sure, which sure. It, Let if, the audience if, if you manage to do it once or twice, you know, that, 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 that's enough to last a lifetime. Sure, yeah. Okay, I have one nerdy question to ask you about Songs from the Wood. What, what is the word at the beginning of Cap and Ham? I used to say pie broach, and then in the oh, 80s... Oh, pie broach. There's a light in the house In the woods, in the valley There's a thought in the head Of the man Who carries his dreams Like the curse Slung on his shoulder, bringing you love in the captain's hand. Now, okay, correct me because okay, so Pibroch spelled P-I-B-R-O-C-H. Pibroch is a is a, a, an ancient traditional Scottish music form played on the great pipes, the Scottish bagpipes, uh, and it is okay. a, it is kind of a lament. Usually, it is a, it is a, a lone piper on a battlement or a Got on it. a rocky okay. outcrop, staring over the the Hebrides, looking uh, forlorn and, and playing something that may be a lament for someone dead. It may, it's an expression of something very haunting and intimate very spiritual sort of expression so the pibroch yeah. is this this air this tune which is usually very slow it doesn't it's not repetitive rhythmic it is um something that is quite um haunting and it's an expression of some profound emotion okay Got it's it. it's, okay. it's, it's going to tend to the melancholy rather than the uh, rather than the upbeat okay i assu- i always assume that was a fancy word that a dumb american like me wouldn't know but then when you're your box set came out in the 80s. There was a track or two on there called P-Break. 
and they were ah, wrong. And I thought, which, 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 which was a pun, a pun that came up on the same sure, idea. It was a pee break okay. because it was, uh, it was a time when, I, I can't remember what it was, but it was perhaps something where you thought, well, the audience can, you know, they won't recognize yeah. this, so they, they, can, they can go and uh, yes. go and take a leak during the... Sure, uh, the, of course. You know, which it's I, I think it's, it's, some, it's, some, it's something that yeah. we musicians recognize. I think Keith Richard <laughs> well recognized the fact that, you know, when he had a little solo spot on a Stones tour and played an unfamiliar piece of music, which he sang and played and make, went disappeared from the stage for five minutes, then that's when the audience uh-huh. would, would go to the loo. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. Okay, great. All right, so let's talk about the new classical album. By the way, it's beautiful. And... I don't say that, I wouldn't say that very much, because honestly, I feel like when classic bands like yourselves go go the classical route, it's sometimes kind of a puss move. I think, well, why aren't you still rocking? But you've obviously done this before. A classic case is an excellent uh, orchestrated album of your songs. Why well, you actually, it's not. It's a, it's a, the classic case is a piece of absolute schmaltz. It wasn't. I, mean, I oh, really? agreed. I agreed to perform on it to 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 honor to honor the uh, the spirit of a cooperative arrangement with our arranger David Palmer. And after when he uh-huh. left Death Hotel, then he got this deal with uh, BMG or whoever it was to do a. Uh, a cheesy orchestral version of Jethro Tull music, and I mean, this, oh. David David is capable of far better writing than that. But he sure. he was under very strict guidelines to keep them direct, and and so he. I've he, always had a soft spot for that. Oh well, Especially that's okay. Worried. It's 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 straight ahead. Yeah, it's, it's kind of straight ahead. Now. It is what okay. it is, but some okay. years later I decided I would do orchestral concerts and I set about trying to come up with what I thought were rather more creative ways of, of bringing uh, a rock sensibility to the symphony orchestra context. And and so they became, you know, I think a little more involved. Where I wanted the orchestra to have more to say. I wanted to give the orchestra more detailed and interesting yeah. parts to play. And so from 2004... I started doing concerts with symphony orchestras here and there mm-hmm. through you know most years. I mean, I'm, it, to this day, I still occasionally do one. Yeah. 
played with here, the Colorado Red Symphony Red Orchestra at Red Rocks exactly. a few weeks ago. Yeah, I was going to so, go, and yeah, it was so, Memorial Weekend. I was out of yeah. town. Well, you, you did well to stay at home because it was foul weather. It was icy cold. It was oh, really no. windy. And, the, oh, and the, sim, the symphony orchestra spent most of their time in the second half on their hands and knees trying to pick up uh, oh, the, the music bummer. paper that had blown all over the stage. So oh, it was, no. It, wasn't, oh, it was a, a little farcical. Anyway, but that, that's, that's rock band with you know the orchestra and and uh, you know been there done that i've also done rock band with yeah. a string quartet you know going back as mm-hmm. well, to the early days of jethro tull but notably right. on tour in 1974 so been there done that but the idea of doing a dedicated more informed classical tradition in terms of part writing for a string quartet that that was something that I hadn't really visited, but had a desire perhaps to just do that where it wasn't rock band and string quartet. It was just string quartet and me as an acoustic musician. And for yeah. some of the time, I wasn't even there at all. You know, I mean, I wasn't involved. I, I wasn't performing in the, in the track yeah. because I wanted to demonstrate that, you know, a string quartet can play the elements of my music being rhythm and uh, harmony and melody the, 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 the key elements of what makes up music is, you know, as an abstract idea, that's it. some lyrics yeah. it gets a bit more concrete but you know music right. as music it's 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 harmony melody and, and rhythm and and you know you can you can embark upon some stylistic adventures and still show the music albeit in a different context but you can still show the, the prime elements of that music and yeah. and um i think you know, when you dress dress your songs up in a new, a new set of clothes, it doesn't it doesn't render them unrecognizable. No. It no. depends song to song how you go about doing it. But I think you know you trot out into the street wearing your shiny new suit and a you know and a, a silly hat, and people will go, "Hey, I, I yeah, I think I I think yeah. I, I think I recognize you." But boy, you look different today. Yeah. Um, well, who, not everyone can pull this off, but you. Well, did perhaps, this, perhaps this album is lovely. Yeah, and and I couldn't pull it off if I was doing the music of Black Sabbath because it'd be quite hard Very to take hard. such simple and essential, pure uh, rock music and and make it, you know, kind of interesting enough. I think I think I yeah. would find that much harder because my music sometimes lends itself a bit more readily to those nuances that that make it workable within the traditions of classical part writing for Agreed. the quartet. Yeah. Not to suggest that I did all this. This was largely, you know, the the writing was mainly by John O'Hara, our keyboard player, who is a classically trained musician, and having studied at the Royal College of Music. So he he knows about that stuff, and we we worked yeah. together on the project and chose the Carducci Quartet as a spirited bunch of young musicians who had a very high standard of technical excellence and a very busy busy schedule. So we managed to grab three days yeah. of their time. 
uh, to record this in uh, Worcester Cathedral and in a historic church. So oh, all of that, all of that went uh, went to plan. And I'm was mixed, John doing the mixed. arrangements? Uh, the, yes, the the, the, the the orchestral writing it, the part. Okay. Yeah, yep. yeah. Okay. So but, you, you know, we, came we, in, but but you know, you sit you sit down and go through this stuff together, and in varying of degrees. Yeah. So, some, sometimes he alone came up with a piece of music. Sometimes it was we would sit down and, and work out which who was going to play what line and how this might work here and yeah. how that might work there. And then, you know, I didn't want to make it too obvious all the time by. Sure. leaving the flute to play the melody. Um, uh-huh. I sometimes let the first violin play the melody and I would play a counter melody or a harmony. You know, I just wanted to vary it from song to song. Yeah. But having said all of that, I don't think I'm. I think I'm not going to uh, confirm my um, American Airlines flight to uh, Nashville to embark upon the recording of Jethro's Greatest Country Hits. I think that would be a step too far. I agree. I don't think that's necessary. Let's keep it as it is. Yeah, well, we're, we're cool. getting kind of getting kind of closely under my allotted time. So if you have a, a last question, go for it. Okay. Yeah. So number one, I'll ask you two. Number one, why Aqualung? Why do we? Why is that the song, the signature Jethro Tull song? When, in my opinion, there are hundreds of others that are more interesting and fresher at this point. Do you have an idea? Yes, yeah, I, 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 I think I think I know exactly why it is. I think it's uh, possibly for two reasons, both of which are, you know I'm very happy to uh, be uh, responsible for. But first of it is that in the same way, in that rather Beethovenian fashion, it has that musical motif that, that mm-hmm. makes a statement straight away, just as um, you know, Beethoven did in his Fifth Symphony. Da, 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 dum. You know, yeah. Wow, you're, you're not going to forget that. Just four notes, three of which are the same. And it doesn't get simpler than that. You know, bum, 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 ba, bum. It's, it's a little bit more complicated, but it takes about the same time. Ba-bum, ba-bum, bum, chicka 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 you know, Led Zeppelin, yeah. you, you got that, that, yeah. that in one, and then there's bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum, okay. another true. rather slightly more complex piece by Deep Purple. And those things are with yeah. us forever. They, they are, they are pretty point. much on a par as being iconic, simple, repetitive musical motifs. And you carve that out. You know, first thing you hear, it's the, it's, it's the, it's the heavy-hitting musical punchline. And I think with Aqualung, it goes on to, to, to employ 
dynamic variation and then suddenly it switches to acoustic guitar and you know lyrics that are I suppose audible, understandable, but it, you know, when you analyze what it's about, it's a pretty serious subject. It's about, it's about yeah. our reaction, our embarrassment, our confusion in the face of uh, a social plight of the homeless. You know, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a pretty hard, serious topic and, and therefore one that it's not, it's not the music that goes with a whole lot of love. It's not the pure music of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. It's not the the rather odd, quirky story of a, a casino burning down in Montreux in Switzerland um, of uh, of smoke on the water. But you know, it's kind of something that I think that that moment where it switches from the big riff into the uh, yeah. into the into the acoustic elements is perhaps a summation of what Jethro Tull is about. Very true. Other than yeah. other than one thing. Other than one thing, it has no flute in it. It's an oddball one. It does, you know, it's a song that uh, I'm strumming, it. strumming the acoustic guitar, not playing yeah. the flute. Anyway, there you go. Well, quick, quickly, the last okay. question because I'm, I'm, I'm getting yes, frantic question. signs over here that someone yeah, is on the line. Question. Last question: If you, if it were all to end today, you've had 50 years of success. What would be the indulgence you would miss most? Well, it's for me. It, it's it's uh, it's it's getting naked in a hotel room with a with a very cold beer um, ah. that, that that for me is the great moment of my day is when the when Got the it. job is done and i'm Got i can it. just set, and I, the first thing i do is take all my clothes off get on the bed crack open a cold beer and switch on you know it may be cnn it may be fox news yeah. fox news it could be al jazeera um, but I'm I'm a, I'm a kind of rolling news guy. I like to catch up at the okay. end of the day before I go to sleep on what's been happening and uh, worldwide yeah. what's been happening. Not I very rarely watch the local news. Um, so yeah, that, that's my that's my big indulgence is uh, getting stark naked and, and uh, cracking open a cold <laughs> beer. And so, uh, the trouble is trouble is that I know some of the people who. You know who have been uh, the news presenters, and therefore I always feel slightly okay. embarrassed, and, and and sometimes think I ought to, um, I should cover my manhood yeah, up while they're in ca- ca- case they can see me. Yeah. Anyway, that's it. Well, Perfect. Okay. Nice to talk to you. Love you, Ian. Thank All you right. So take care. Cheers. Yeah, bye bye. There you have it, Ian Anderson. I did my best, guys. I uh, I tried to cram as much in there as I could. If he ever has a spare hour and feels like chatting, I hope he'll give me a second chance sometime. And I hope that this, I hope you were reawakened to how great Jethro Tull can be. There is some wonderful stuff in there, and I wouldn't say it if it wasn't true. That string quartet album is gorgeous. If it's your thing, I highly recommend checking it out. It's a beautiful, peaceful, chill album something to put on on a sunday morning it's gorgeous i hope you'll check it out i have to give a huge thank you to ann layton who is probably ian's marketing manager or press secretary or something like that she helped make this one and the john hall episode from a couple weeks ago happen thank you ann for everything you and i've been i've been you've let me bug you non-stop for a couple of months now and i'm so grateful thank you so much for this Uh, Also, I want to close it out with what's probably my second favorite song on the Songs from the Wood album. This is called The Whistler. I can't stress it enough. I am who I am today because of my discovery of this album. It's Who would have thought? But that's what it is. It made me, it shaped my love for music. This is it. It's so instrumental. Now, you know all the business. 
uh, I'm not going to bore you with that this time. But on Tuesday, we're going to release another proper episode, and it is with another English gentleman. In fact, the next three episodes are with English gentlemen. And this one, he was a member of a very beloved, formative band for me and for probably a lot of you too. Late 70s through the 80s onto the early 90s, kind of power pop, indie, alternative, power pop, British rock, alternative, that kind of stuff. Beloved. It's a good one. I hope you guys will come back and join us next week for that. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man. Love you, Yan. We will see you guys next week. Thanks, everybody. Hello.